Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 79 movies, one cage. This is episode 81, Dog Eat Dog, from 2016. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today we have a Cage Club mainstay, Jordan Pohl and Clark. Hello, Jordan. Hi, you guys. Hi, I don't think you've been back since Rage, a.k.a. Tokarev. I haven't Ooh. been, and that feels like a long time ago, but I, I was looking up Cage's uh, IMDb, and it wasn't that long ago in the scheme of Cage movies. No, and I mean, we only no. we probably recorded that in January, so I mean, in terms of Cage Club, it's still this calendar year. It seems kind of long, because we haven't really been doing many Cage Club episodes this year, but... We have been doing some Keanu, so we've had you over there, so that's that's been good. The important thing is that you're back for the reunion of Cage and Willem Dafoe, back from Bobby Peru and Wild at Heart. He's here again in a movie that is nowhere near as good as Wild at Heart. I didn't even think of that, but while I was watching this movie, I did keep thinking I wish I was watching Wild at Heart. Like I was missing that. Yeah, I think this wants to be Wild at Heart meets Raising Arizona, and it misses both of those marks by a mile. It's just not very good. I mean, there are certain things in here that are fun-ish. There's one thing in particular that's fun. On a whole, this is a movie that I saw six weeks ago at Fantastic Fest, and it was a midnight movie. It was sort of tough to get through because it's just not very well made, I don't think, and like it's structured kind of poorly. What's crazy about it, sort of, is that you have a guy who wrote Taxi Driver, right? And he's helming this, he's the director of this, and yet the actual script itself, the story itself, is just sort of like, bleh. I couldn't even tell you what the story is. Like, I felt really similarly to this as I did about Rage, which is, I just don't understand why I'm watching it, or why I care about these people. That makes it really tough to get through. I don't think this is a good movie, but I found stuff about it to enjoy. I mean, maybe because I spent yesterday watching the four Underworld movies, and that just, like... Let's not compare this to Underworld, because, I mean, that's not <laughs> well, nobody's a winner. No, but I'm just saying, like, it's better than anything I've watched yesterday. Well, I'm just saying, like, I agree it's not good, but I found a lot in here that was enjoyable and entertaining, and I'm not going to go to bat for this movie or anything. It's got too many problems to be successful. Uh, And I think one of the major problems is something we always run into is that this is an adaptation of a novel written by um, a criminal, if I'm not mistaken, also. It was like a guy who actually went to prison and became an author, and if I'm not mistaken even further, uh, he plays Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. It's, It's that guy. Oh. Yeah, like he's a famous author that's been to prison and was like a consultant on crime films and and Tarantino loves them but I believe this is one of his originally like his story so he's kind of more of a trashy gonzo pulp novelist it seems and this is a gonzo experimental weirdo movie that just doesn't really work at all. Well, this was also co-written, or maybe the screenplay was entirely written by this guy who's also going to write next year's Looking Glass, which is another Cage movie that sounds cool, but we have the guy that, you know, wrote this movie. He's going to be writing another Cage movie that we'll be covering in the next probably 8 to 12 months, so get excited, because he's coming back. (laughs) Can I get into a Cage thing that I thought about while I was watching this instead of watching this? What's happened to him? This movie was terrible. The end was okay. He was kind of fun to watch in the last, like, few minutes I guess because he did a really weird thing <laughs> this was terrible rage was terrible like I don't like it okay so here's here's the deal with cage that there's been a lot because he has three movies coming out this month USS Indianapolis on VOD and maybe in theaters uh, this past Friday for Veterans Day this now on VOD 
and we've got Army of One coming out on Blu-ray on Tuesday as we're recording this. And I, I hope this podcast will be up and edited by the time that comes out, because we're also going to be recording that later this week. There's a lot of magazines and publications and websites interviewing him, and so there's a lot of like kind of actually good interviews and like in-depth pieces about him. One of the things that I read was that in no other business aside from Hollywood are you ever criticized for working a lot? Because he's busting his ass. He's doing five or six movies a year. The basic gist of it seems to be that he doesn't like to be bored. He doesn't want to just sit around and do nothing. He always wants to be working. And that's also the same reason why another thing that came out recently, he turned down a role in the upcoming TV show American Gods because he doesn't want to be in one city for, you know, three or six or nine or 12 months or whatever that would take to shoot that show. So he always likes to be active. He always likes to be moving around. And so he's just doing a lot of things. And unfortunately for you, Jordan, you're just picking ones that aren't great. And I would say, if I'm being honest, there are more that are not great than there are great. But between Rage and this movie, he did Outcast, which isn't too bad. He did Pay the Ghost, which is, like, not good, but it's okay. He did The Trust, which I really like. There's stuff in in between that's better than what you saw. You're just unfortunately kind of picking the ones that aren't But still, like, even the language that you just used about that, there was only one of those movies that you actually liked. You just didn't hate the other ones the way, like, that this movie wasn't good. When you look back at where he came from, like, where we started in this podcast, like, there was so much, like, rich material to talk about that was so interesting, and he was so interesting and fascinating, and, like, what was he gonna do next? And now, like, none of that exists anymore. Well, the way that I would defend that, back then he was kind of doing one or two movies a year, and now he's doing five or six. And so he's still putting out, maybe on average, like a good movie a year, which for any actor is like a good thing to do. You know what I mean? It's just that there's a lot of things in between that aren't great. I find Cage to be very consistent, even though he's been in some bad movies recently. Like, I think that's what it's been boiling down to, you know, like Trespass to The Trust. I mean, he's good in stuff, but the movies and other elements around him just aren't jiving the way they used to. Um, yep. And even in this movie, you know, him and Willem Dafoe, but then who's this other guy? Like, I really feel like we needed a third powerhouse to round out this trio in here. Not that it would have saved this movie or anything. I agree he's not really stretching so much in this. I mean, there is a moment here which is just, like, amazing that we haven't seen before that, you know, for me, would say watch this movie just for that <laughs> moment. I mean, it is pure new cageness for me. Yep. Like, I just never seen that before. So, I mean, we still are, and in the trust, we got a little bit of his Jerry Lewis-isms and things, so he's still trying, I feel like he's still trying to do stuff, but he's more confined than he used to be. He, He doesn't have the time, the budget, the power or freedom to really explore that hard. I mean, I've seen the trailer for the next movie, and I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it's a lot different than what we've been getting, and yeah, I just think that's the thing, is like, he needs better projects. Like, I understand he wants to work more, and that's fine. Like, you know, it's great to work a lot and everything, but I really feel like he needs another big break or something. Like, he needs to be in something more high-profile like Snowden, but with, like, a bigger role than he had in Snowden. You know, he needs, like, a, a mainstream movie where he's a major role again. Because that's the thing, Jordan, that like what Mike mentioned about Snowden, he's the best part of Snowden. He's the best part of USS Indianapolis. And neither of those are great movies. I think Snowden is better. Snowden's just kind of like fumbly, if that's a word that we can use. It's just, it's not as good as it could be. 
but I mean, it's a competently made movie. It's one that won't offend you. It's just sort of, it's it's unnecessary at the end of the day. But he's really good in that movie. But the problem is, like Mike was alluding to, he's only on screen for five or ten minutes. We were really excited when we saw him in the theater because we're like, yes, this is why we're here. And he shows up and he's got like funny lines and he's got like a cool role, but he's just not in it enough. I mean, we're not that far away, historically speaking, from Joe, which is probably one of the five or ten best movies he's ever done. And that was just three years ago. He's still got the talent in there. He just needs a director. I don't know how to dis- I don't know what he should be picking for these movies because a lot of these movies that I read about seem like they could be really good. Like it seems like I don't I don't want to like overhype Army of One because I haven't seen the trailer, but based on like the right at the description of it, like I'm super super excited for this. I don't want to be let down, but he just needs like one movie every couple years that he, I love that that just can keep me going. Yeah, I can get on board with all of that. It's just so disappointing to watch this and also know that Wild at Heart exists, you know? But you could say that about a lot of actors though. You can look at like Robert De Niro and like see what he did and you're like now he's dirty grandpa which is actually kind of mm. funny but like i don't want to see him like that or i don't want to see him in three meet the parents movies or i don't want to see pacino as a caricature of himself all these different actors you're never no one is ever great forever unless you are one actor in history who's in five movies and then unfortunately dies and oh yeah they all happen to be like coppola movies you know what i mean like no one is bulletproof forever i agree with that but i also think that some actors adjust and make better choices than others along the way. I guess I'm just like pretty consistently disappointed with a lot of the choices that he makes in his later career because to me it seems like he's so well known and so powerful like he could do anything. Yeah I almost I wonder I mean a lot of it seems to be chance to a degree because without having seen it but having heard and read about stuff you know before I saw it I'm like oh this should get theatrical a theatrical release or USS Indianapolis should get theatrical release like I don't think he thinks he's picking projects that are gonna go straight to on demand or gonna be failures like these projects have potential like I feel like this movie with a much more seasoned director and a much better script like could have been something cool like I just feel like it focuses on the wrong stuff at least I was expecting you know like a kidnapping caper and it's more about the boring bullshit that happens between jobs as hitmen just getting like screwed up and trying you know just to like live day by day and i just don't feel like you know he's expecting the outcome necessarily but i would love to i would love to see a movie about hitmen between jobs like that's an inherently fascinating thing so i think that it's not necessarily the structure it's just bland and the other problem the main problem i have with this movie and something you just mentioned is that there's just way too much diesel this third guy who's <laughs> not defoe who's not cage he's just yeah. terrible like the worst part of this movie the one thing that i hated in theaters and that i hated again here is that whole him at the bar propositioning that girl and then getting furious at her up in the hotel room. I feel like in the in the hands of a better actor, a more competent, stronger actor, that could be fine, but it's just bad. Uh, you you just used a word and it, it like you used the word bland. And I think that's part of why I'm so upset about like this and movies like this. You should tell the story of why they made this movie, Joey, because you're going to tell it okay. better than me. But when I look at it and I know why they made it and I see the outcome, it's like nobody cared about making a good movie. And so they just blow all that money and get paid to make shit that I had to pay $7 for to watch. That upsets me. So the reason this movie is made, there's a history between Schrader and Cage that he wrote 
Bringing Out the Dead, which is another one of Cage's best movies that was directed by Scorsese. Two years ago, Schrader wrote and directed Dying of the Light, which is kind of a piece of shit garbage movie. <laughs> R.I.P. Anton Yelchin. R.I.P. Anton Yelchin. Which I actually don't remember anything about, which I think goes to prove the point of it's just a forgettable thing. Which is also the reason why they made this movie, mm. is because Paul Schrader found this script and basically said, I want to make a movie with Nick Cage that people will watch. Because I guess Dying of the Light was such a failure, both critically and financially and whatever, that they wanted to make a better movie. And so you have this movie about eccentric criminals all out of prison. You get Cage on board. He had the role of Mad Dog, the Willem Dafoe role, that he wanted Cage to play. And Cage said, no, I just did that in my last movie. I want to play Troy. I want to play this other guy. Let's get Willem Dafoe. And then Willem Dafoe was like, I'll only do it if Cage pays me out of his pocket. And they're like, well, okay. What? And so Cage paid Dafoe a hundred grand to do this movie. Then they got Diesel. It's just <laughs> the movie that Paul Schrader wanted. Like he wanted to basically hang out with Cage again. No problem there. Make another movie with him. No problem there. But that seemed to be the only reason that this was made, that they picked this script that they actually wanted to make this movie. It's a home movie then. Like, in the sense of, like, you get your friends together because you're... Like, okay, like the Josh Whedon. Like, he gets his friends together and makes a home movie, but he makes, like, a good version of or what you like do about Yoga nothing. Hosers. This is Yoga Hosers, well, <laughs> which I just watched well, this morning, which is Kevin Smith getting his friends together and saying, like, hey, let's make a movie just because I'm friends with Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp's daughter. And Well, those are, like, every Kevin Smith movie is just, yeah. like starring his friends forever but i just mean like in this case it's like paul schrader you know it's like hey let's just hang out blow this money like make something have fun and and just like fuck it like if people like it they like it if they don't like that's their fault and it's too bad because you want to actually i don't know make a movie that's gonna like entertain everyone and like not just yourself you know like it almost feels like we did this for ourselves to like watch on weekends when we drink together or something to that effect well, and that's why i'm so upset because like everything about this movie was gross and like it really wanted me to think that it was fun you know it had all this fun music like i actually liked the way a lot of it looked uh like the visual style was interesting mm. although not new but like everything about it was just gross and so to think about that like a bunch of men rich men somewhere like think this is their great idea of something that's fun oh god it makes me feel dirty on the inside the most egregious thing for me was paul schrader himself showing up in this movie and i don't have anything against directors being in their own films but i have a problem when you have marble mouth and i can't understand you and you're spouting exposition that's like super important and it's just like dude make it a guy with like you know, who was a heavy smoker with one of those robot voices instead. Like, anything, dude. Like, anything just so I can understand it. So what's the gig? The gig? As uh, a friend of mine, Armenian dude, former friend, actually, uh, used to be a deputy DA uh, prosecuting drug cases. So he got sick of watching himself go poor while his clients went rich. So he switched sides. Buys himself a big old house in Bratnall. Got a little puss on the side. He's a squirrely guy. But now he has a problem. He needs some money that the wife don't know about. So the role of Greco the Greek, Schrader approached Michael Wincott, Michael Douglas, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Nick Nolte, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, and Rupert Everett for that role, and none of them could do it. I don't know if some of them said no, or there were time problems, or whatever. To save money and just, I guess, fill the role, he was like, I'll do it. Like, Paul Schrader's like, I'll do it. Just cut the character. Well, because, no, because the problem is that it's kind of an important character. Like, he's the connect. Yeah. Like, it's not only the voiceover, the marble mouth, like, the, the, because... 
Diesel's the same way. Like Diesel's boring. Like he has no he's inflection. A mumbler. Yeah. He has no inflection in any of his things either. Those scenes just feel like slow and sluggish and poorly edited. That they're both like leaning back in their seats and then like look how comfortable we are around each other. But that doesn't translate into gripping cinema. It's just like we're going to just lay back and just shoot the shit and just see what happens. And I can't believe we got to get to this. You know, I got you're not you're not getting mad dog in this, right? Like we can't have mad dog on this job. Was that the part where like they were both in profile and like one was related to the right mm-hmm. and one was related to the left and it was like shot. Yeah, like Mr. Robot. <laughs> yeah. Artsy. Yeah, it was like really artsy and with no purpose. Like that's when I started to get angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because yeah, like part of the stuff I really like, like you kind of mentioned earlier, is the look or at least like what I enjoyed was kind of how it jump styles a lot like you get that really high contrast opening do you, do you really like well, it jumping I, that I, much? I actually well let me finish because like I thought that was going to come into play a lot more like I thought every time we were going to see stuff through Willem Dafoe's eyes it was going to be shot through his style and everything we were going to do through cage was going to be sort of shot through his like cool classy black and white style but no like he is just mixing it up whenever he wants but i really was sort of like okay this would have been something i could have gotten on board with a lot more is like these drastic style shifts to complement the characters and and the situation but by the middle of the movie it doesn't feel like he has a plan for any of that it just feels kind of like willy-nilly like i'll do it now I'll do it now. I won't do it now, but I'll do it now. The way that I want to justify that scene where they're in the restaurant and there's like the really crazy profiles is that in my head, I would love, you know, he's behind the DP, the cinematographer the entire time and being like, okay, this is the shot I want. This is the shot I want. That day he has to be on set. Like he can't be behind the camera because he's in the scene. I don't know. I mean, this obviously isn't the way that it happened, but like, I would love that he just comes back behind him and like, that's the shot you got? Like, that's the shot that you want to go with? Like, all right, let's just roll with it because we ran out of memory cards or something and we can't reshoot this scene. That's the only way that I can justify that scene, that he's in front of the camera instead of behind the camera, and then whoever's left behind the camera like doesn't know what they're doing with, like, aiming or angling or framing or anything like that. You know what this kind of reminded me of, Joey? Like, when we were talking about Dying of the Light, it was... There's a story about how the studio took the movie away from Schrader because he oh, wanted to like right. color code it crazy and all kinds of weird shit and after the fact and stuff. And so like I really feel like this is his like experimental like let me get it all out of my system. Like this is what I really you know when I'm left alone to play. Oh boy, can I make art? <laughs> and it's like, geez, Louise. I think that you've both referenced parts of the movie that you liked what were they well there's the one there's the one part of the movie that for any cage fan it's worth watching and it's his insistence on being humphrey bogart it was you me on the tv the shootout yes but it wasn't like they say well how was it you ever been inside reverend in the joint yes sir well then you know guy who has a past guys made mistakes they say they forgive you but they never do they're always looking at you trying to catch you at something All we want, heck, all anybody wants is justice. I was explaining to the officer and she, she panicked. She thought I was resisting. Yeah, that's right, resisting. And my friend was just trying to save me. There's yes. no reason for this, and I want to I want to read something from an interview he did with the Huffington Post in September. The original question was, out of you, Willem Dafoe, and director Paul Schrader, who's Troy Diesel and Mad Dog? And Cage says, quote, that's a hard question to answer, but I'd say that I would be the Troy because I brought the Humphrey Bogart elements to the character 
under my guidance, and I sort of pushed that character in the direction that only I would go. And the interviewer was like, in the movie, you say people sometimes think you look like Humphrey Bogart, and you even do an impression. Was that in the script, or is that something from real life? And Cage says, it wasn't in the script. First of all, I wanted to make sure this character had some sort of twist to it that made him stand out more than just your standard man. I thought he had aspirations. I turned him into a film buff. I made it so he wasn't like every other convict with tattoos, someone that aspired to be Humphrey Bogart and sort of channels Humphrey Bogart. Whoa. Let's, let's I mean, take a step back. Hold on. Let's take a step back <laughs> and say that Paul Schrader approached Cage and says, I have this perfect role for you. And Cage says, nah, man, that's too crazy. I want to be this other guy. And Schrader's <laughs> like, all right, cool. You can be this other guy. And then Cage gets on set and is like, damn it, like this guy is boring. What can I do to make him more interesting? I'm going to turn him into Humphrey Bogart. But well, he... Oh. Well, uh. I didn't even... Uh, okay, I had a hard time processing and hearing a lot of the dialogue in this movie. But, and so there's a reference earlier. Some He tells the thing where he's like, people say I look like Humphrey Bogart, whatever. But he really didn't start acting or talking like Humphrey Bogart until the end, right? Or did I just miss right. it? Right. No, you're right. He tries to like whip it out on that guy at the uh, table where he's like, yeah, she... And the guy just kind of looks at him like, whatever, dude, you're nuts. But I didn't pick up that the character was a film buff at all. I mean, he no, talks no. to this girl. <laughs> there. There's nothing yeah. there like that. I mean, it would be one thing if everything he said in conversation was about a different movie. Like, one thing I thought that was kind of interesting is, like, they've all been on the insides for so long, they don't understand, like, there's some things they don't get, like Taylor Swift, you know? They understand all the rappers because their cellmates listen to them, but they don't get, like, all the other pop music and things that they missed. You know what's funny in there? What you know that's out here and what you don't know, like Facebook? Come on. We were fucking Facebook friends before there was a Facebook. So, like, if he had just been talking about movies the whole time, I would have gotten it. And as far as, like, the Bogart thing, talk like Bogart from the start and don't even reference anything about it. You know what I'm saying? Just be Humphrey Bogart if you want to. Or number three, do a bunch of impressions and be the impressionist guy of the group. And that could be your character quirk. You have to make it known that this is what you're going for. And I didn't pick up on it at all. It's because there's nothing to pick up on. I mean, he keeps asking people if they look like Humphrey Bogart. And someone at one point says something like, yeah, like a stretched out version of him, which doesn't make any sense. So let me ask you something. Do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? No. Well, you see, that's interesting because I'm a big film buff. Bogart was the best, the king. When I was in the joint, there was a movie producer who was in there with me, and I, I says to him, I says, do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? And he says, well, yeah, you do, but a stretched out version of him. <laughs> My theory, and I don't know if it's a real theory or not, and when I was watching this in the theater at Fantastic Fest, I was sort of kind of falling asleep because it was 1.30 in the morning and this is not a great movie to sort of keep your attention. But at the very end of this movie, Cage is arrested, and these two cops take him out back. They're little bad lieutenants themselves, and they like kick the shit out of him, and they handcuff him to the outside of their cop car, and they drag him along. And then we sort of enter like a dream sequence. And he holds up these two, like this elderly couple who are on their way back from visiting their new grandchild. Cage pulls a gun on them and he is 100% full-blown Humphrey Bogart. And then that car, you know, it crashes or whatever and he gets into a shootout with cops and he gets killed there. In my mind, the only way that I can process that scene is that he died when they were dragging him along and that's his, his own way of going out. 
again, me just trying to justify things because nothing about this makes sense or is really interesting, maybe his character is a huge Humphrey Bogart fan, but he just can't do a Humphrey Bogart. And so the only way that he can do it is when he's in his own dream, his own heaven sequence, and that's when even these guys are just like, you know, you look like him, you sound like him too. That's the only way I can justify anything at the end, which is also, coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, my favorite scene in the movie. I thought that I just, like, missed something like i actually didn't understand that as a dream sequence (laughs) i just thought maybe i looked down too long for a second and like i he got away from the cops (laughs) i'm right there with you jordan like there's several times where i feel like there's a cut scene totally when he's being dragged by the car then i wrote how cage alive dead question mark dream question mark real question mark coma dash and then earlier like in the first sequence you know willem dafoe like murders this woman and her daughter and then it just cuts to like three weeks later and i'm like did that happen too it's just gonzo here yeah but agreed with joey that is my favorite scene (laughs) in the entire movie solely because it's Nick Cage as Humphrey Bogart, and it's insane. I really like the idea that his, like, if this is a dream sequence, like, this was a time lapse in it. Like, he drove for a long time with these people. Yeah. (laughs) He, like, people fell asleep in the back seat in his dream. Like, it's insane. Like, why? This is, like, his road to paradise. Like, highway to heaven. Highway to heaven. I don't... Like it has... It ha, there's no way that it can't be a dream sequence, right? Like, it has to be. Yeah, I, I think it has to be. I mean, because if it... I mean, by the end, I it was like, okay, he's driving through a mist, he gets out, and it's all cloudy, and it's very sort of, you know... At the end, I was like, oh my god, like, he's he's gone neon demon here. He thinks he's NWR or something. Like, he's getting all neon, and it's just not... It's just another... Where he's just like, I'm just gonna whip out this other style here at the end for no reason. I would have much rather have all that been in black and white. Like, the black black and white stuff look gorgeous the photography in this movie like and it would have fit much better in the bogart thing where it's like oh he's in like an old 40s movie now that he's dead and you know could have put him in the trench coat and the hat and just like really gone all the way made it funny or made it more comical intentionally instead of him "Ah, everything's normal i'm except i'm talking like bogart yeah i mean this was like the most coherent part of the movie to me like i could actually sit and watch i watched that whole part without looking down or away or anything but that was the dream sequence was the most coherent part like no that's the part (laughs) where you're supposed to go all weird yeah it's like a reverse the whole movie's weird and then the dream is normal so there's one name that's come up in the podcast, and there's also the same name was the last line of the IMDb review that's like the featured IMDb review for this movie about how this is the type of movie that Tarantino could have made if he wasn't too busy copying his own style or whatever. Here's the thing that, like, the way that this movie could have been salvaged, sort of, and I would love it if Paul Schrader, whoever directed this, you know, this version I'm about to pitch, if they just, like, straight up aped Tarantino. Like, here's what you have to do. It's taking something that Mike said. All of Cage's scenes are in black and white, and maybe all of Willem Dafoe's scenes are, like, crazy oversaturated and you do something else for diesel so you do that as one thing another thing you do is you break it into three different chapters you call the first chapter diesel or whatever you tell his story you tell the whole story from his perspective and then you say chapter two is troy and you tell his story and it's all in black and white and then chapter three is mad dog and you have the whole movie told like that way do what tarantino's done set your story up into different stylized ways even if it's just like a copy of a copy of a copy and it's not you know, truly original ideas, 
do something, because like what we've been saying all along and what Mike's been saying especially, you're just doing things just because you want to do them. Like there's no rhyme or reason to things. Make choices. Like even if they're bad choices, just make a choice and stick to that choice the entire time. Even something as simple as that in terms of like the structure and the artistic style, I came up with that in 30 seconds. Like, just do something, because the way that it is now, it's just willy-nilly, nothing seems to go together. It does feel like there's scenes that are entire, like, entire scenes are missing, or entire sequences are missing. Like, I, I, it just, nothing is coherent here. I would have much rather enjoyed that. I think you pitched a good one there, to be honest, you know, because... Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I think that would have worked, you know, and added some cohesion to some of this at least or you know just seeing the same events from a different perspective would have been more interesting it's frustrating because i do feel like you know in better hands like there is something here like okay so there's one sequence i genuinely did like all right and like i feel like schrader actually pulled this off well but it belongs in like a completely different movie is the issue is so when they're staking out that guy in the fake cop car and they follow him you know to a traffic stop and they sort of they they take him to his stash house and they rob him of all of his coke and everything like that was like a really solid chunk of 10 minutes there but it like belonged in a completely different movie like it just didn't seem pertinent to what they wanted to say about these characters because it's like how could they all be psychos and then get their shit together for this like 15 minutes or so and i was like oh this is a very engaging 15 10 minutes or whatever but like it doesn't relate at all to who they are and all that shit like they're just pulling this job and suddenly like they're awesome at what they do where they clearly should just be screwing up the whole movie but that's just i don't know that's just an example of something for me that worked and showed me that there's a chance there was a chance here you know that someone blew it but like it could have gone a totally different way well that sequence also has the best visual joke in the movie is when they steal a car or whatever and they tape on the side police in just white masking tape and like the letters are all askew and it's like the shittiest rough hack job that anybody's ever seen and they just don't care what's crazy about that whole sequence is that it's completely unnecessary like the plot of this movie according to imdb according to i guess the log line is that three men are tasked to steal a baby and this has nothing to do with that Mm -hmm. like it's completely unrelated it's just the first shot that they did together okay like it is i agree sort of you know more competently made than the rest of it why is it in the movie at all other than to make it go from like 75 minutes to 90 the baby thing happened but only after like eight other things that didn't make sense happened like that's not really what <laughs> yeah. it felt like this movie was about like i you said 75 minutes it would have been like it would have been a half hour if it was just about that baby yeah that baby is like a total like second act thing i mean it's barely a thing even like it's just treated as such a nothing i mean this movie needed to be three men and a baby three like three psychotic men and a baby like they needed to steal that baby in 15 20 minutes and then sort of like be in a safe house with this baby and could you imagine the three of them like changing diapers trying to (laughs) feed it like hiring a prostitute to like take care of it for an hour or two like where is that movie like that's the movie like willem dafoe reading to it from playpen or something like (laughs) there's just so much gold in that movie that i feel like i was promised like that's really what imdb is telling you that's the movie you're getting that is not the movie you're getting that baby thing is like three minutes well i also think that it could work if that is if that's if that's actually what the movie's about and you want that scene to play out the way that it does 
where they go in to steal the baby, and this guy's like, oh, you guys are so screwed now, and the Defoe just blows his head off, and, like, that's the wrong guy to kill? Have that happen, like, 10 minutes in or 12 minutes in or whatever. Don't have that be 45, 50 <laughs> minutes in, and then you have to sort of, like, scramble to fill out the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, have that be the thing that sets up the entire movie, as opposed to just being this weird event that happens in the middle. Yeah, you know what it felt like, and if I can plug all of his movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast, which you can listen to now, when we were doing Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, but I put me to sleep, the Gordon Gecko character with like 20 minutes left in the movie, he's like, I'm back, baby. And you're like, you're back now? Like, you were supposed to be back in the first 15 minutes, but it's not even about his return. You know, it just feels like they got like the whole point wrong. Like, <laughs> this movie should have been, yes, yeah, steal that baby early, make it a be about babysitting and then getting caught. You know, it just it felt like it was there. And I don't know. It's not. Can I tell you guys my favorite part of this movie? Yes. I didn't have a favorite part of this movie because I don't like this movie, but it made me laugh out loud. And maybe you can tell me more about why it happened because I don't understand why it happened. There's a part where Mad Dog and Diesel are taking the body into that, like, warehouse. Oh, yeah. And then Diesel kills Mad Dog. Yep. Yeah. Which, like, really seemed like one of them was going to die. I actually thought it was going to be Diesel. Whatever, it was Mad Dog. Diesel calls Troy to tell him what happened. He was like, I'm, I'm coming back alone. And there was, like, a flashback of them squirting. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to be able to say this <laughs> It's the same thing as the hot dog. It's the hot dog scene, but on people. <laughs> <laughs> While Jordan composes herself, uh, she's referring to a Keanu Club episode, her favorite thing in cinema history, I think, uh, from Dream to Believe, where there's an extended hot dog sequence where just people are putting ketchup and mustard on hot dogs. And in this movie, for some reason, they're squirting ketchup and mustard on each other. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. But wait, so that was, so it was played, it was <laughs> We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it, Jordan. It's so, it was so romantic. It was, it, was, it was in slow motion. My question is, is that something I missed from earlier in the movie? So there was a <laughs> hot dog and, or ketchup and mustard earlier, but there is another scene after the cocaine bust goes well. They go back to that hotel room and they sort of party. And they're like crazy, cheap music video effects. And it's not like hot <laughs> yeah. dog, the condiment thing over again, but it's a similar kind of scene. And the only reason that scene makes even a lick of sense, and it doesn't, but early, early, early in the movie, Cage is talking about how when he was about to get out of prison, you know, this guy was about to, like, shank him or whatever in there. And so instead of Cage, like, messing this guy up, Defoe opened up this guy's back with a razor blade and, like, took the fall for it. And Cage says, once a guy does that for you, you owe your life to him. And so this sequence is, I guess, Cage remembering his fondest memory of Mad Dog <laughs> and being like, oh man, this guy that I owe my life to, this guy that, you know, was such a good guy to me. Remember that time we squirted mustard on each other? Like, that was the best thing we ever did together. And that was only a few days before. Well, and it was kind of like they were, like, faking like they were shooting each other, except it was with ketchup mm-hmm. and mustard in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a shirt on. Like... <laughs> Nope. Well, I, I truly thought maybe I had missed that from earlier in the movie, and it was no. like a flashback to like something we were supposed to be looking on fondly. It's like a deleted scene from that earlier party sequence that was that was going on. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's like we decided to cut that short and insert part of it here. And that was like the clip they chose to show while they were talking about it was family and like he's dead now. <laughs> Ketchup and mustard. This is a movie that I'm interested to see the Blu-ray of because I. 
want to see what else is on there. Like, right now, it's just VOD, yeah. and it's just the movie. This is a movie that makes so little sense, and not in a good way, not in a monkey business way, not in a, you know, we're teasing <laughs> that for a couple weeks down the line for all his movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast. Not in a way like that where it's just so much fun to watch because nothing makes any sense. Here, it's legitimately, you're scratching your head, like, why is this in the movie? And so I want to hear, like, a director's commentary with Paul Schrader, like, oh, this is why we did this, or this is what this means, or this is what this is in reference to, or see mm-hmm. deleted scenes, because there has to be more yeah. to the story. You mentioned earlier, Mike, that like they took Dying of the Light away from Paul Schrader. I haven't heard anything like that about this. I feel like this is his version of the movie. No. This is the movie yes. he wants to put out. And that mm-hmm. is baffling. Yeah, no, that's bonkers. That's the kind of director he is. Like, it's it's strange because he's such a great writer. You know, like, the movies he's written that other people directed, like, they're big hits, they're good, they're, you know, rewatchable. but then, like, he gets behind the camera. I mean, he's so avant-garde. Like, I don't know. He's, like, experimental. Like, he doesn't want to make a typical Hollywood movie. Like, if you've seen The Canyons, you know, like, that is not, like, I mean, it's not good at all, but it's, exactly, like, that seems to be his style. Like, he wants to push the envelope in terms of structure, in terms of, what are you expecting? Okay, I'm going to take a completely left turn from what you're expecting. But there's a formula to proven formula as to how films work, and it's just like, you could deviate from that, but you have to understand that, and I believe he understands that, but the way he deviates is just like, like annoying and obtuse and I don't get it I think he feels like I said like he feels like he's just making art like I feel like deep down he's a super pretentious director might not even realize it might think he's his buddy Scorsese but he's like anything but yeah it's like I have no problem with somebody deviating from like the regular narrative structure and trying to make an art film or a film that's different but like you're making something that I would think you intend for people to see to watch I would think that anybody who makes a movie goes into it and says like I want people to watch this and here's what I want them to feel or I want them to feel something like what is he trying to make us feel? What am I supposed to think? Yeah. I don't think anything at all. I think his goal is check out these three wacky hitmen, the downtime between jobs. Like, look how normal these guys are. The scene you just talked about when Diesel kills Mad Dog. I, I spent a decent amount of time while watching this movie last night thinking about what that scene means or what it might mean. And I feel like the only thing that makes sense to me is look how normal these two guys can be when they're in the process of disposing of a body. Like, they're just kind of shooting the shit. They're just kind of talking about life. It's completely unrelated to what they're doing. And I feel like that's kind of the point, maybe, but that's not strongly made enough, Mm. either in this scene or the whole movie. They're not good guys, because they're all criminals with two strikes who are going right back into the life of crime. It's not a movie where it says, you know, not all criminals are bad. Like, look at these guys who are trying to make something of their life. That's not what this thing is. I think it's supposed to be like a black comedy. Hey, you know, hitmen are typically portrayed as like these ruthless guys, but they're just normal guys like you and me, and they like to squirt mustard on each other, and they like to bang (laughs) hookers too. Like, I don't, I just don't know. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing. Like, they like to bang hookers too. Like, I don't know a whole lot of people, like, that's not really my crowd. Like, there's nothing for me to relate to, Mm. and they're not well-written enough characters for them to be relatable on any kind of human level, and their activities aren't interesting to me, so what's the point? I do want to say, mm-hmm. the funniest moment in the movie, and just it's a quick thing, I don't know if you're going to find it funny, Jordan, or not, after the first job, and they, you know, they're flush with cash, and they 
all find hookers or some equivalent. Like, Defoe gets a massage woman to give him a massage and sort of give him a happy ending. Diesel picks up that girl at the bar, and Kate just flat out hires a hooker. The funniest moment in the movie to me is when she's trying to be sexy with him and talking about like what they want to do and she's like if I want if if you want me to go downtown it's going to cost another $300 and she's like I'll I'll make it well worth your money or like well worth it or whatever and she takes her fingers and like sticks them in her mouth like look how sexy this is and then she gags on her own fingers <laughs> i cracked up at that because there was like a moment of actual levity in this movie that otherwise is completely devoid of humor that's offensive and sexist and demeaning but it's also funny in a way that nothing else in this movie is i actually was not watching at that time uh, <laughs> or like <grabbing> no. <laughs> my my eyeballs were not on the screen so i was listening but I wasn't watching. So when I heard that happen, I thought he did that to her. Based on the rest of what was happening in this movie, I was like, did he just gag her? Well, no, because Uh. the the whole gist of that scene is that Cage could not care less about having sex with this woman. He wants to sort of, like, free her of this life. He wants to bring her to Nice in France, get her out of this world. He's got money now. He's got ambitions. He's the only one of the three that seems that he doesn't want to continue this life of crime and so this is a woman i don't know if he's been with this hooker before because this feels like vegas but this whole movie takes place in ohio uh since <laughs> yeah since in cleveland right yeah, it's, yeah. it's all over it's all over the place she's talking about how she just needs her headshots and whatever and she's clearly high on something because she's not listening to what he's saying she's not retaining anything and she keeps asking the same questions over and over again. The only thing she wants to care about is getting that money so she can pay for her headshots and, I guess, go to L.A. And so she just bends over and, like, is kneeling over Cage and then gags herself unintentionally. And it's legitimately funny. But it's also it also stands out because nothing else in this movie is funny. I think I was, like, too annoyed already at that point in the movie. to be. I started to make a list of all the women in this and movie. That's only, and, like, and that's only were. 25 minutes in. Like, that's not very far into this movie. Well, yeah, but, like, the movie started by Willem Dafoe, like, slashing a woman's throat, shooting her daughter in the head. These are the women in the movie, you know? And then there's a bunch of strippers. The judge who sentences Cage is a woman. But in the restaurant scene, there's, like, a shot that's too long of a woman the way we get into the room where they're sitting is we follow this woman and i was like oh great a woman character and it was like just to do a kind of a sexy shot of her back and then have her walk away and then we went into the room in the restaurant where they were talking so by that time i was just like kind of annoyed the only way that i'm and it's not a defense of this movie but every time you bring up these list of women in the movie they're always justified because in a lot of movies that we watch and a lot of movies that you watch <laughs> terrible terrible women but my defense quote-unquote defense for this is the same as it is in a lot of other movies and it's if you did the same thing for men in this movie none of them are good either i mean the movie is sexist and demeaning to women but no character in this is portrayed well or given anything like there's no role models men or women except for maybe kind of cage i agree with you except here's the difference is that this is a movie that is entirely a about men there's no woman protagonist in this movie there's no woman that this like this movie could survive without every single woman who existed in it yeah this movie should have been about a group of dangerous female crooks like we never got that movie totally here just saying like wow the men are 
idiots and scumbags and all that, it centers around them. That could be a problem. That is a problem. I'm just saying that nothing about this movie is good, and like, I'm not defending yeah. no, its use of women or whatever. I'm just saying that pointing that out is just like, a, it's like mm-hmm. another layer on this like shit Sunday that it's just awful. The one funny line I thought there was the when he was getting the lap dance earlier in black and white, the, the one girl goes, "Wow, you're actually hot." Like as if like every <laughs> like every guy that she's on is just this pig, and it's like, well, finally, like at least they have something to look at. But it was Nick Cage, and I'm sorry, yep. I don't know, like he's seen better days, you know. It's just funny that she said it about him. I wonder if he wrote that line too. Yeah, I think one of the major problems is this movie wants to be like a black comedy, but it's not funny. Like it's coming across as like a noir or something like that, and it's not even doing that well. Like you said, Joey, earlier, like it's relying on the contrast between what you see and what you hear. You know, you're gonna see some crazy shit and then hear some very mundane dialogue, but it's not done well and it isn't done to the extent where it fleshes out the characters. It's just like, hey, I don't remember this when I was in prison, and like that's about as in-depth as they get. I also don't think it really knows how to tell a story very well, too, you know? Like, characters can just suddenly have traits in one scene that are non-existent in another scene. If it's okay to get off the um, onto something else real quick, if I could go back to when Diesel kills Willem Dafoe, like, why didn't Nick Cage shoot Diesel? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where the story should have gone. Diesel doesn't tell Cage what happened. Oh, but it's obvious that he killed him. I mean, they went out together to dump a dead body. I mean, that's just, to me, I was like, he should just be shooting this guy instead of, again, like, to I'll just merge this with the last point. Like, instead, Cage ends up punching a female officer twice and trying to grab her gun. At that point, even I was like, oh, I am against this character. I mean, <laughs> uh, until he's dead and comes back as Bogart for a minute. Yeah, like, I did not want to see Nick Cage punch a girl in the face twice in this movie. I enjoyed that only because I wasn't enjoying anything about this movie, and it reminded me of The Wicker Man. I mean, we have another movie where Cage punches a woman, which obviously is not good in terms of the sexist element, but it's another flashback. I also wanted to mention, while you were talking about the lap dance, that he's back in another strip club. Shout out to Little Junior, back from Kiss of Death. So that's another little cage connection. He's in prison. He's in prison. He's in prison yep. in this movie. He There's Elvis music during his intro scene. He's in a pool hall. He's wearing shades in the morning. <laughs> like There's lots of cageism. There's a uh, camera that follows a bullet, sort of like Lord of War a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of things that connects other cage movies, and the only reason I enjoyed him punching the woman, other than the fact that it's crazy over the top and excessive, and I think that's maybe like, hey, guess how funny it would be if he punched this woman? Like, ha <laughs> it's so funny. But it just doesn't, I mean, it's, a, it's you know, a, a, not a nod to The Wicker Man, but a reference kind of to The Wicker Man, and also just mm. insane, like, I want to like the Cage it's just character. just so out of character. Well, I don't know that it Ugh. is, because he's a, he's a two-strike criminal, and this woman's about, like, yeah. he knows that things have gone wrong. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is, like, when he was arraigned, they show that flashback of him in the courthouse stealing the officer's oh, and that's gun great and, trying yes, to yes, es- yes. and trying to escape. So, like, was he trying to sort of reenact that? Like, was that his escape? Like, that's his go-to. He's just, like, hit any cop, whatever gender, and just grab their gun and try and run for it. Like, that's the only thing that flashed into my mind after the scene was over because I just didn't feel like up until this point that's how he would have reacted everything seemed like it was going fine and he had really nothing to hide and then all of a sudden it's just er, he's but just I like, don't think that this is necessarily out of character for him I think it's just 
really poor planning in terms of the movie, because he's a criminal who's been in jail at least twice already, mugged the guy at the courtroom, stole his gun, was going to run out onto like the, the public streets with a gun like in handcuffs. He's not a good guy. It's just that we haven't seen him do anything reprehensible in this movie. And I think that's where it comes into play. Like I think this is within character for him. It's just within character that we haven't seen, which is a problem. Yeah, it feels like now that Mad Dog's out, we need to Mad Dog up one of these characters a little bit and do some stuff that would be better written for him. Because, I mean, there's a guy that I believe every... Like, that's the one character because he's such a wild card that you can throw anything at him you know like one scene he could be in his underwear like looking all weird and stuff and then in the next scene like he'll blow some guy's head off and you have that like insane headshot and then in another scene like he's crying because like i don't know if he's crying but like he's pleading with diesel to like be his friend and stuff and it's just like i get it with him like he because the way that character is designed yeah i just wish there was more to everyone i don't know that i necessarily have anything left to say about this movie it's not worth watching i don't think there are fun cage moments like the humphrey bogart thing at the end the part in the courtroom where he mugs the guy and runs out there's also the scene where they're i think it's when they're no i don't know when it is actually it's when he's on the phone with Greek of the Greek, and he's talking about how they killed a guy and that was the wrong guy to kill. There's a moment where he almost gets hit by a car in the parking lot, and he just gets like crazy mad at the car. He's like gesturing, <laughs> like like slams on the hood. A wordless little moment because he's on the phone talking about something else, but there's there's flashes here, and similar to the trust in, like, remember that, that scene where he tries to spray the mouth spray or whatever, the breath freshener in his <laughs> yeah, mouth, the, and it sprays yeah, the wrong the way? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing there. Like, there's, just, like, little moments that he might bring or that are just written in there for him that make the scenes enjoyable, but the whole picture, the whole, the finished puzzle or however you want, whatever analogy you want to use, it just doesn't work. I'm impressed that we even talked about this for this long. Yeah, I guess, you know, in closing, I guess I'd say it's not a good movie and that's a disappointment because, I don't know, because it's a new Cage film and I was just so excited and I really like most, like 90% of Cage in this. I really like what he's doing. Like, it's just good to see him. It was just like, that I feel just like gave this a bump automatically because I'm just starving for new Cage material. It was almost like, I don't care what movie it is, I just want to see him in something. But it's unfortunate that we do get the movie we get with him in it. I mean, Diesel's got to go. We need a better third by far that's not going to fix the whole film we need a better director and we need a rewrite and you know we need more going on here like we need to just have that three men and a baby formula that's what i want that's the better film do you just skip to the end for that bogart i don't know you almost feel like you have to earn that scene like it's so amazing you have to sit it's through not that, all it's of not this. that amazing no. it's not no, worth but, watching this whole movie for yeah but i don't know if you get all the impact but I, I really like that scene. I like a couple other little moments in here. I can't recommend it. That's too bad. I can't. I, I wish I could recommend it, but I can't. Jordan, what are your final thoughts? I know that you hated this movie, that you didn't want to talk about it. You're mad that it cost you $7. I mean, I understand you watched it already, but you didn't have to come on if you didn't really want no, to no, 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 talk no. about let's, it. But <laughs> Let's be clear. I like this podcast, and I'll watch anything to do Aww. this. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it is an interesting brain exercise to watch something that I wouldn't usually watch and to not like it, and then to be like, well, I still have to talk about it, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually really like that brain exercise. And I, and I was very nervous going into this because I saw the trailer, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to like that. And based on rage, I just like wasn't feeling excited about where Kate 
is and I was right, but again, still happy to do it. <laughs> um, I did try to go in with an open mind that lasted about five minutes before I was like, oh no, I like Rage better than I like this movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rage is about something. Like, there's a story there. And it, what was that about again? The diamonds? They're trying to figure out who killed his daughter. Oh, the daughter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, this made me feel just, like, gross. Like, they were just... I wish I had a better word for it, but, like, I wrote down the yeah. word ew, like... 10 times while I was taking notes for this. Like, it was just gross. It made me feel dirty. It is one of those times, like, where, as a guy, like, watching characters like Diesel and Defoe, where I look at myself, I'm like, oh, God, ew. Like, I hope, like, <laughs> I can't believe, like, they're part of the male... Ri- it's like, God, Christ, like, thanks, guys. Like, really. <laughs> those guys are out there. That's what sucks. Well, thank you, Jordan, for soldiering through it, and you'll be back at some point, I think, for another Cage movie. Maybe, maybe not. You're signed up for no more Cage movies, at least through the end of next year. All the, all the ones that he's announced that are on his IMDb uh, have been filled, so I mean, maybe you'll be back in 2018. I mean, you'll be back for Keanu Club, so if you like Jordan's lady views on things, she'll be back, oh, I guess, ooh, like in six months for Thumbsucker. Jordan, you're not going to be around for a while. Bummer. Bye, Jordan. That's a bummer. Oh, we also have another bummer in terms of Cage is that The Croods 2 was canceled. They're no mm. longer putting out The Croods 2, and that's a bummer because the first Croods yeah. is really good and well-made and was financially successful mm. and was Cage's best animated movie, and we had fun talking to Brian about that movie, and now it's just not going to happen. So yeah. That cast got too big. You got Eva Stone and Ryan Reynolds in there, so they're not coming back. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so, well, thank you, Jordan. I mean, sorry that we distracted from Doggy Dog to talk about The Croods, which is a better movie. Go see The Croods. Don't watch this movie. But thank you for joining us. I will uh, say thank you to you guys for making sure that I saw Monkey Business, which is the other movie that I watched this oh, weekend. yes. Well, I don't want to talk too much about Monkey Business because we have an hour and a half long podcast that is going to come out, I think, early December, I want to say. So, I mean, if, if you only watch one movie for the rest of the year, make it Monkey Business because... <laughs> yes, if you're going to give the gift that keeps on giving this holiday season, Monkey Business. And I know that we, we have more fans on the Cage Club feed than we do on the Keanu Club or Zack Attack or Monkey Club or all his movies, but go listen to all his movies. That's just the, the latest project that we're pushing. Mike and I want to day every day from november 10th through i think like december 10th we're releasing a new podcast about shia labeouf movies one of the first movies that he was in was this movie called monkey business from 1998 which is the best bad movie i've ever seen so go see that don't see this movie if you haven't already for all things cage club and all the other podcasts i just mentioned you go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cage club see all the episodes that we've done you can read reviews we wrote reviews for all the cage movies up through the end of phase one so up through i want to say pay the ghost we have reviews on there so you can check those out other podcasts on the network all sorts of fun stuff at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was jordan paul and clark and we'll see you next time on cage club which is going to be later this week with army of one bye Justice. That was what I wanted. Then I started thinking. I didn't want justice. I just wanted what I wanted. Just like everyone. And the rest of it was verbiage. <laughs>